Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is October 7th, 2019, and this is episode 281. My name is Jake English. And I am Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, for some reason, we'll take a look back. And we'll do that trying not to cry. Yes. And uh, we'll get to all of that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time again for the drink of the week. When Scott has Magnus. this show ever been lubricated? This is a squeaky wheel, if I've ever heard one. Yes. Uh, Jake, I'm drinking a 2015 pumpkin ale, uh, aged uh, for four years. Um, honestly, I've had better aged pumpkin ale. Um, not sure what happened with this bottle, uh, but uh, it's, it's all right. I have so many questions. Yeah. First, uh, no, I'm not going to ask why you would bother with pumpkin ale. T- second, is it better... If you leave it for a while? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, brown ales uh, and double IPAs generally are pretty darn good. Um, Worldwide Stout is another one from uh, Dogfish Head that actually I believe is one of the first ones I ever had that was an aged. I believe I had one that was eight years old at one point, and it was uh, quite delectable. But, uh, yeah, I've got a few uh, aged ones. Um, I think I've actually got a 2012 pumpkin ale. Um, but yeah, typically, uh, you're going to get that brown sugar note and, uh, the nutmeg come out a little bit more. Um, it kind of mellows it all out. Um, and it's not so pumpkin-y at the, uh, after a few years. Well, the longest I let beer wait is my baseball beer, which of course I now have in the fridge from the last day of the season. And I will crack open good old Michelob. Oh no, not this year. This year. No, I'm, I'm actually polishing off the six pack of my baseball beer this year. For such a terrible season, I went with some of the good stuff. Uh, Scott, tonight and next opening day, my baseball beer is uh, Snake Dog IPA from Flying Dog, which is uh, one of my favorites. But while we're here in uh, the the, uh, the drink of the week, I want to talk about something that uh, was announced earlier. Uh, this came from Heavy Seas. They said this was on the, the fourth. Loose Cannon Aged in Jameson Casks will be released at 3 p.m., this barrel-aged IPA, huh, fancy, we were just talking about that, Yeah, will be available in six-packs and 16-ounce cans to go only in the Heavy Seas tap room. I'm very excited about this. So, Birdland, if you happen to have some of this uh, Jameson Loose Cannon IPA, let me know what it's like. If only we knew someone at Heavy Seas. Only we knew. If only we someone knew someone at Heavy Seas. Yeah, I mean, uh, I appreciate um, Heavy Seas giving this a shot in terms of Loose Cannon. I, I do feel a little bit, though, like the aging in bourbon barrel cask is kind of a played out ploy at this point. I would let them play out anything they want. Yeah. Hey, I know I jumped the gun. Yeah. But can we do this week on the Twitters? Uh, we can do this week on the Twitters. Why don't you go ahead and uh, start us off? All right. Uh, Scott, that sound that you may hear uh, throughout the rest of the episode this may be a little awkward, uh, but that is the sound of me, uh, you know, just polishing up the old resume. Here's a tweet that comes from Mike Elias, who tweets, at M. Elias. The at Orioles are on the lookout for talented folks who want to shape an organization. Scouting, PD, front office, dot, dot, dot. Join the team. 
all right, I'm down. I can do none of the I I can fetch coffee with yeah. the best of them. You can delegate instructions. <laughs> you would be the best project manager the Orioles had ever seen. That is doubtful, but but I yeah. So hey, if you have skills, you can you, craft a scolding email, a strongly worded letter. At all hours of the night. You know, I believe the Orioles have received quite a few strongly worded letters from me in the past. I, they probably got my Dearest uh, face on the door. Nestor Aparicio Esquire. Uh, we regret to inform you. Yeah, so the Orioles have some uh, full-time opportunities. Uh, go, go get them, Birdland. And, uh, you know, when you get hired by the team, don't forget us little people. Yeah, and look, just because the Orioles season's over doesn't mean that playoff baseball isn't available this next tweet comes from, well, we know this is not the case, at Natural Cats. Um, and the tweet goes as follows. We've successfully achieved a game with O'Day, Weeders, Marcakis, and Miller, reaching the 2014 Orioles singularity. Yeah, I'm just going to be over here crying, crying, yeah. crying, crying. While we're on the topic of crying, 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 here's a tweet from the Baltimore Orioles. On this day in 2014, yes, folks, five years ago, five years ago, uh, a thing happened, and it sounds a little bit like this. It's a great time five years ago. Scott, we were relevant five years ago. We were relevant. You know, I, I think back to that time, and I think to myself, there were a ton of great memories. Um, you know, being in the stadium that night, um, actually that afternoon, there was no night games because it's Detroit and Baltimore, and why would you want to have that? Um, but yeah, it was absolutely great. Uh, a great time and a great moment. Um, and, you know, just great song choices to be played you are me on purpose perhaps all right while we're dealing with sad things uh we should take a, a quick moment uh to recognize the passing uh this past week of andy etchbaron uh, there are plenty of tweets to uh to choose from but i wanted to to just read this one this is from Jim Palmer, who, of course, tweets at Jim22Palmer. Brooks just called me to tell me about the passing of Andy Etchebaron. Lots of great memories. Called my shutout in the 1966 World Series versus the Dodgers. Hashtag RIP at Massadori. You're having a tough time focusing right now, aren't you? No, I'm actually laughing about the fact that he talks about his shutout in the World Series in a tweet about a uh, fallen team. He got called out on that. Did he? Yeah, he got called out on that. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Andy Etchbaron, the last great number eight before Cal Ripken, but more importantly, uh, yes, uh, catcher from World Series teams in, in a, a golden era of Orioles baseball, but underrated. Oh, yeah. Strongest eyebrows in the game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, clearly, uh, the man had it going on. No, in all seriousness, um, it is a loss for the Orioles family. He, remember, he uh, I think he managed the Keys. I know that he managed up at uh, York uh, for the Revolution. Um, so he not only was was a great Oriole, um, but you know a great member of the organization. He was also in a production of Hairspray. <laughs> he was indeed. 
<laughs> and the local baseball community. All right, next tweet uh, comes from Jack Curry, at Jack Curry from the Yes Network. On our pregame show, just asked Buck Showalter about the seven managerial vacancies. He did the usual bob and weave that I've witnessed since the early 90s, but he did say it's an honor to have his name mentioned. Trust me, Buck wants to manage again. All right, so do you think he'll get a job in the next season coming up? Uh, yes, but he's not going to be one of the first people to uh, get that managerial job. All right, so I, I don't think he'll he'll get the gig in New York. No. What I really want to see, what I really want to see, is Buck take over in San Diego. San Diego. And, and for one reason and one reason only. I feel like Padre's Twitter deserves him. Mm. The, the uh, material that he will provide and that which they are able to do with it, uh, that is a match made in heaven. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see the Mets job being of interest to him, um, but I do see the NL West um, as being something that may intrigue him. Um, so we'll see what happens. But uh, I mean, he can handle the media market up there in New York. It, 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 but I do agree. I, I also think that, you know, well, maybe it's not fair to say that the Mets have a less way to go, but I kind of like him in that role of bringing back a, an organization like San Diego to competitive prominence. Yeah, and they've got a, a ton of great prospects to bring up right now. So, uh, yeah, I, w- I would agree. If uh, if Buck Showalter has a chance to win that World Series, I think San Diego might be its best place. Well, he's got a big year coming up in 2024 because he's got another manager of the year Absolutely. Uh, waiting to happen. All right. Um, you know, this is this week on the Twitters, and that's all good and fine. But uh, you and I, we weren't here last week. Yeah. So let's let's do a little uh, last week on the Twitters. Uh, first, uh, we want to talk about somebody who's also exiting uh, stage right, and that's Brady Anderson. Uh, this is a tweet from Rockabaka. Brady Anderson won't be back with the hashtag Orioles next season. Told he's stepping aside with all the new people in the organization and the changes. O's are altering performance and strength and conditioning structure and will make new hires over the winter. Very quiet, but you knew it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Orioles also tweeted as following. I think this is a timely response and stuff. Um, John Angelos came out, mentioned um, the following. As long as Fort McHenry is watching over the harbor, the Orioles will be in Baltimore. Um, then the Orioles just tweeted, Baltimore, we love you. Um, and it would just come through some John Angelus quotes. I was born here, lived here. I've always lived downtown to one degree or another. Not only that, but our partnership group is all local people that are heavily invested now and definitely in the city and the future of the city. And that's just real. Uh, the Orioles are a Baltimore institution. The Orioles will be in Baltimore and be in Maryland. That's the beginning and that's the end as far as I'm concerned. Okay, great. I mean, this is exactly... What you want to hear um, from the owner of the club um, to basically just kind of dismiss all the rumors out there in terms of Nashville or Las Vegas or, you know, any other you know city as it were. So uh, good. I'd also come back too, and I think this kind of um, sets up pretty well of showing that, yeah, John Angelus is pretty much the guy running the club at this point. Um, I know there has been kind of some conversations, but I really feel like John Angelus is in essence, that face person for the organization going forward for Pete. Yeah, it would have been nice for that to come out immediately during all that stupid Nashville talk. But, you know, eh. hey, it's uh, it's good to hear. Scotty, a lot of uh, departures from the organization, but uh, there's going to be a serious hole in Orioles Twitter next year. And I, I need to know who's going to outpun us. 
Yeah, so Olivia Witherite is uh, is leaving uh, the the region uh, in Masson, um, having kind of covered both the Nationals and the Orioles. But yeah, I'm going to be really interesting to see how the social media direction changes now as per Masson. Olivia's done a great job and, again, um, absolutely amazing uh, some of the work that she has done to kind of um, basically take a, a franchise that had no social media and turn it into something. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what she can do in San Francisco. Um, but ultimately, this is an opportunity for someone else to step up um, and, and move into the next direction. And she was fun to uh, to engage with, and and for somebody that could make talking about this team that was so terrible fun, uh, I, I think is a special talent. So it is a loss to Masson. So hey, Olivia, best wishes where you go next. All right, anything else that we need to cover on the Twitter, or can we actually move and uh, talk a little bit about the team? Do we do we have to? Oh, so we're back to episode one. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right, so we were all prepped to record the show last week. Uh, life got in the way. I kind of called Jake up and said, hey, maybe we should just give it a few days. Some stuff is probably going to happen. Let's just let it lie for a little bit and, you know, um, in essence, take in what has occurred um, over this past week and as a season in large. So let's start with the Orioles 2019 season ended. They lost another game. The Blue Jays 11-10. to 15-inning <laughs> marathon to close it out. Um yeah, thank God I didn't stay up and watch that long game, right? Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting game watching it. I mean, I was basically listening to the game and watching the game um, and just kind of keeping a tab on it because I was just like, all right, this is going to be, in essence, the momentum that maybe carries them into next season. And there was just a lot of you know intriguing plays, as it were. I missed that one, and I woke up and I was like, oh, 11 to 10. Wait a minute. No, no, that was that was... Wait a minute, another eleven to ten. Yeah. It was kind of like that uh, that series against the Indians that the yes. Orioles had six nothing, yeah. six nothing. Right? No, th- it was thirteen something. Okay, yeah. Uh, two two games in the same series, and I thought it was the same game. Uh, but the the most interesting game that we missed last week uh, was the final game of the season. And you know, I've I've been coaching uh, little league. Um, you know, so clearly they've been performing a lot like the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, but the games are at one o'clock on Sunday, which is the worst ever. So I've been taping uh, games and watching them, and so I, I watched this one uh, on tape, uh, and it, it was good. It was a good back and forth game, but I could have done with a lot less of. Uh, I think it was Hunter and Brian Roberts on the telecast saying, "Oh wow, they're really trying in this last 160 second game." Like, come on, guys. Guys. It's it's a Major League Baseball game. Yeah. Of, of course, to some degree. They're, they're trying. trying. Yeah. yeah. Like, when we go out and play softball, we, we, we're trying. Right. That doesn't mean we're playing well, but we're trying. So, uh, I will say, though, that I hate baseball games that feature Eduardo Rodriguez because I'm really, really tired of having to talk about the trade. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's frustrating, but, um, you know, ultimately, I think if you look at Eduardo Rodriguez and the success that he has had... I, I still make that trade any day. Totally, um, totally. You know, it, but you know, it, it it feels good to see him, um, in essence, um, not succeed to the degree that he should be succeeding. Did, did you see how hard 
they tried to get him his 20th win. Oh, yeah. I mean, they darn near pitched his arm off in that game. Um, did you did you happen to watch Stevie Wilkerson's catch? I did. I watched it live uh, and saw it, and I thought, now nah, it's going to get overturned and it's going to be called a home run. And then when they showed the replay, I'm like, God damn, he's a freaking wizard. Like, it is really funny because I, I think it was, I don't know who was it, Gary Thorne? Was I don't Gary know Thorne. Who, was, who was talking about it on the telecast, but he, he said, you know, if that, if that catch takes place in a World Series or a playoff game, that's the greatest catch in Major League history. Yeah. I mean, it was that, it was that impressive. So yeah, we, we watched the game. Henry and I watched the game together. Um, and I had recorded it. Henry knew what happened at the end because somebody spoiled it for him. Uh, so he was lording that over me as we watched. I, uh, I, I recorded it for the game, added an extra 30 minutes. Uh, but apparently we had a bit of a pace of play problem in Mm. the game. And so our recording ended just as the relay throw was coming in as the Red Sox were streaking Streaking across, uh, toward the plate in the bottom of the ninth and it cuts dead. And Henry turned to me and goes, they lost. <laughs> well, there you go. A fitting end. My failure and the Orioles' failure compounded. I find it so Orioles-esque, though, uh, again, that Steve Wilkerson makes pretty <laughs> much the catch of the year, not just for the Orioles, but potentially for Major League Baseball, right. and then ends up um, not doing the simplest thing in terms of getting the ball back into play, and uh, the Orioles happen to lose on that play. So it's just like, all right, so, um, yeah. I'm glad that one play overruled the other. No, noted outfielder Stevie Wilkerson. Noted noted outfielder and pitcher Stevie <laughs> Wilkerson. All right, so so the uh, season came to an end, uh, but a couple of other interesting things have happened with the organization since we last uh, left our heroes here on the mic. Uh, so you know the Orioles have identified uh, members of the coaching staff who will be back in the organization next year, and some folks that won't. Uh, Arnie Baylor uh, will not be returning. Howie Clark, who was a holdover from the previous regime, uh, won't be returning as assistant hitting coach. And John Wasden in the bullpen uh, also won't be coming back. I don't know if that really matters, uh, but okay. So we need a new first base coach slash outfield instructor. So what's cooking with Kirby? <laughs> you know, I'm more interested. And there are some changes starting to take place, but but nothing's really settled yet. There I'm more interested to see what happens with the minor league uh, staffing changes because mm-hmm. I think the, those are the are the vacancies or the positions that are going to most impact the next Orioles contender, right? The pitching coach in Frederick is going to be important to us someday. The you know the hitting coach in Bowie, that kind of stuff. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to see what the Orioles do with that. Yeah, I am interested to see who they go out and get for the major league staff. I understand what you're saying, but ultimately I want to see how the message is being conveyed um, to major league players. I mean, we're going to have a lot of folks coming up and down, up and down. So I am interested to see, um, you know, one kind of side note that I was surprised on was, I was surprised that our pitching coach was retained um, going into next season. So obviously um, Brendan Hyde must want him back. Um, there's also no guarantee that he'll be the pitching coach next year. I mean, he could be some sort of, you know, pitching coordinator for the organization. True. He yeah. could get bumped to the bullpen. Yeah, you mean, just think that would make be a notification. And if also he got bumped to somewhere and you would have thought, okay, well then he's probably going to walk or do mm-hmm. something else. So I'm a little surprised in that one, but that's the only thing that I'm really like, eh, I'm surprised they didn't make a move there. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, the, the Orioles are definitely making moves. I mean, they even made a roster change already. Um, they went out and claimed Cole Susser off of the off of waivers from the Rays, um, and they outrighted uh, Chandler Shepard to Norfolk. So, yeah, Cole Susser. Uh, I mean, I guess he must be better than in-house options. It's a body, I guess. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then over on the business side of things, uh, you know, as Michael Elias is putting the help wanted sign up, they're also taking care of some things on the business side. They've promoted some in-house uh, resources, including uh, noted uh, former Bird's Eye View guest Greg Bader. Um, and they've hired somebody as the new chief revenue officer. Mm-hmm. And I have to be honest with you, that is a gig I would hate for the 2019 or 2020 Baltimore Orioles to be in charge of driving revenue for this club. Yikes. I mean, I know that they're going to try to do things like, you know, the concert series with uh, uh, Maryland Stadium Authority and all that kind of good stuff. But, I mean, talk about being up with your back against the wall, you know, right when you start your gig. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's it's that big of a deal. Um, you know, looking at who they went out and hired, um, they hired someone that's basically leading a a marketing group, uh, actually within Bel Air. Um, I think this is going to be similar to what you said, which is how do you in in, in essence um, entice people to come to the park and uh, you know reinvigorate the brand, as it were. Um, so I think that's interesting. And, you know, he, he comes from uh, acclaimed schooling. I mean, uh, he's even been to the Hartford Leadership Academy. So, uh, you know, only the greatest go to that. So, <laughs> you know, Greg Bader, I mentioned the, his promotion. One of the things that falls under him uh, now is, is uh, game experience, mm. right? Or, or, you know, experience management. Yes. Um, and so I'm curious to see how that will evolve. You know, I think starting with the starting with the uh, new look that the ballpark got, you know, several years ago with – bringing orange back into the park and, you know, taking out seats and putting in things like the Miller Lite flight deck, even more recently to, you know, the, the rooftop bar and the, the re, you know, new facelift that the Utah street has gotten, you know, the club is working hard to make changes uh, for the better in the game day experience. Uh, so I'll be interested to see, you know, how they underscore that when they're not bringing people in for any other reason. Yeah, I mean, the Orioles did do um, listening surveys that had, um, you know, focus groups um, to kind of go through and kind of decide where they wanted to basically put their priorities. So I don't think they necessarily did all of that within 2019. It'll be interesting to see what they do um, this offseason to, in essence, pull people back in. Uh, FYI Orioles, four-game holiday pack. Great idea. You should be doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Orioles have an opportunity here to, uh, in essence, you know, change how people perceive them. Um, and marketing can be pretty powerful there. Absolutely. Well, that's just about all that we uh, that we noted from this past week. But let's let's adjust the rearview mirror, look back a little bit further, and see if we can answer the question. What did it all mean? Let's get philosophical. All right. So, Jake, uh, 2019 was something. Yeah, it was. Uh, as, as we've covered for it was probably 30-plus episodes this year. Um, do you think this year was more watchable than last year? Uh, 
Um, I do. I do. And I think expectations help with that, right? Um, I don't know about you. I felt that I was far less angry in 2019, right? 2018, I knew that the Orioles had made a mistake in pushing the chips in and trying one more time. And I knew, yeah, I had that feeling it wasn't going to work. But I just couldn't get over how awful things got. And just like every time you turned around, it was worse and worse and worse and worse. And it was supposed to be not good, but it wasn't supposed to be that bad. There were no illusions in 2019, right? So when things went bad, you kind of went, well, yeah, things were going to be bad. Um, so I, I think in that respect, it was better. But but your question, was it more watchable, is a is a difficult thing because there was some really, really bad baseball. Yeah, let, let's get to the point. Um, the fact of the matter is it wasn't more watchable. Um, it didn't have players that you had an emotional interest in, even though the team, in essence, in 2018 was terrible. Um, you wanted to see Jones, see, see him off. Uh, you wanted to see Buck. You wanted to see Machado and when he was actually going to get traded. So there was moments through the 2018 season that, in essence, you were coming to the realization that it was coming to an end. It was a journey, as it were, t- towards what is the future going to hold. And I feel like 2019 was like um, you going over and meeting your neighbors, but you don't really want to see them for a while until they actually paint their house and get it all taken care of. <laughs> You know, it's funny because, I mean, we're back to to the late Dark Ages and the fact that, like, you know, there's really no exciting reason to to go out there and watch the birds. Like, you know, our first baseman is Kevin Millar. That's not exciting. It's nice that, you know, Hanser Alberto was fun and exciting. It's nice that uh, Anthony Santander was a surprise. It's nice that Renato Nunez hit a bunch of home runs. It's nice that Trey Mancini is a real baseball player and that uh, John Means is somewhat promising. But outside of that, you know, uh, it's great that Dr. Poo Poo is one of the most electric uh, position player pitches in, in modern history. But outside of that, you know, there was not a whole lot to get connected to. It wasn't just that it lacked players that we had a long-term relationship with, like Jones and Bucknell. Yeah, I mean, we keep saying it's like the Dark Ages, and you're right. It's it's terrible baseball that's going on, um, but I don't consider it to be just like the Dark Ages. I mean, we think back to 96 and 97, going into, um, sorry, yeah, going into like 98 and going into 99 and so forth. You know, the Orioles were still going out there and, in essence, throwing money out there to try to compete, um, even going out and getting folks like Our Bell. You know, and I think Dark Ages, I think, you know, mid-2000s is really yeah. what, what we're thinking of in terms of Dark Ages. But again, that's almost 10 years past the point of um, a rebuild that is occurring. So, you know, going into 2019, we, in essence, can look at the roster and say, well, there's no chance and the team is already admitting that is a rebuild um so like you know when i'm watching the team in 98 compared to 97 i think i'm watching a similar amount of play um because i'm like well something could happen because they had a decent enough team last year whereas in this year i can look at it from the very beginning and be like i really don't need to focus on it too much because i know um that it's just not going to be a good product and the team has even recognized that it's not a good product you know, we talked about the struggles, I guess it is, um, of having to root for a good team. And I know that sounds, you know, conspicuous, 
but it is a, a significant time commitment. It is, you know, watching and living and dying by every single game. Um, it's it's staying up late at night to watch, you know, West Coast baseball into two o'clock or five o'clock in the morning um, when necessary. And it's this whole, you know, heart up in your throat aspect and this kind of arousal aspect that occurs. You know, I think that if we look at just common scientific aspect, I think the Orioles have allowed us to basically enter into the relaxation phase after arousal. Jeez. <laughs> and uh, we, in essence, are basically taking this relaxation period to build back up um, into a, a stature that allows us to be in firm competition once again. I, I know the pace of play is a problem, but if it lasts more than four hours, go see a doctor. Take a blue pill. Um, yeah. yeah, let me try to slowly back away from that. Lack of engagement is a bummer. Right. I mentioned, you know, we've talked about it all season. I am less engaged as an Orioles fan, which is just sad. Uh, but I wonder about something, Scotty. Um, you and I may not enjoy the next bit of Orioles winning as much as we did the last. Mm. And tell me if I'm crazy here. But okay. you and I are both of a certain age. We're, you know, on the on the far side are you saying we're old we're becoming old okay we're becoming old i was born in the can we talk about relaxation again (laughs) i was born when the orioles won their last world series and so when uh you know 2012 hit yeah and all the way through you know 2014 i was 29 oh you're peak health basically i I was a lot more excitable Mm, okay i worry that you know when the orioles are good again I'm going to have a hard time getting as gleefully excited as I was. You know, I keep talking about them missing the window of Henry. I, I really am starting to become concerned that I'm just going to be old and crotchety mm-hmm. by the time the Orioles win again. All right. So I hear what you're saying. Uh, let me tell you this much. You're wrong. Okay. Yeah. I want to be I want to be wrong. So you're going to be wrong um, because this is what's going to happen. Um, you are going to go to a baseball game. Um you're going to be sitting there with your son. Um, he is going to be having a beer with you, side by side, drinking a loose cannon. <laughs> when the Orioles win again. <laughs> and uh, you will be drinking a loose cannon and pouring it on each other, uh, you know, clinging each other, celebrating a World Series championship. And there will be a no better moment in that life um, than you two going home and getting scolded by your wife of why do you smell like beer? <laughs> That's This is all true. You and I could wax philosophical about what it all means and what this season was. But frankly, Scotty, somebody has beaten us to the punch. And I would like to just listen to a professional talk about what this was. Real fans, as the season concludes, the question is, what have we learned? I think what we have learned is that competing in the American League East is no easier than it was 10 years ago and it costs a lot of money to get there for the Orioles patience 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 do the fans have it do the players have it does the front office have it it's going to have to be there because this is not going to come easy yes in double a and a ball there are some pitchers and it looks like a couple of them may make it to the ball club next year that can be very important for this team showing at the end of next season as to whether or not it is on the right path but it is not going to be easy there are no guarantees no guarantees in a number one or two draft pick there are no guarantees that the numbers that were put up this year by players will also 
be put up next year. The Orioles look like they have a core for offense. They do not have the pitching, neither starting nor relieving. They've got means to help head it up. But the bullpen has got to be redone because it simply did not get the job done this season. Can Oriole fans wait long enough for that to happen? And are there enough arms out there to supply the needs of the likes of the Orioles? We're going to find that out. But again, the positive side of it is this is baseball. And you know something? The term that applies to every baseball season and every game that is played is you never know. If they have the offense they had this year, especially in September, and if they can find a couple of starters who can get them through some games, and if they can put a bullpen together that will have a good backside to it, and right now it looks like it might, who knows? Yeah, you're competing in the East. The Red Sox should have been much better record-wise this season. The Yankees, if they are healthy, will be unbelievably deep next year. So that won't be easy either. But for Oriole fans, you simply have got to be patient. Going to the ballpark will become more of an experience, not only with what's going on on the field, but everything going on around it. There are the kids' corners. There's all the food to eat. It's part of getting people to the ballpark. That's the way it is now in baseball, not just in Baltimore, but everywhere else, too. And there is nothing wrong with that. Enjoy the experience. Remember, the game is supposed to be entertainment. Entertainment. You come to be entertained, you come to watch, enjoy what goes on on the field, and then go home and live your life. For the Orioles next season, how much enjoyment will there be regarding what goes on the field? You just never know. Well, I mean, I, I think we're done here. We, yeah. we just close up shop. Yeah. No need to do this podcast anymore, everyone. Gary Thorne's going to take our job. Uh, so, you know, he, he makes a ton of great points there. But, you know, he talks about if the Orioles can uh, do this and if the Orioles can do that. So uh, didn't we hear this before back in the day with Pakoda? Like, if they get this and if they get that, then, you know, the Pakoda thing would never actually happen in the degree that it actually is. So, Scotty. Yeah. In 2020. Yeah. Can the Orioles have enough offense to be interesting? No. Okay. They had an 88 weighted runs created plus for the entire season. Now, Gareth Thorne's absolutely right. For September, they were a top 10 team in terms of offensive production. Awesome. You were great for one month. But the Orioles do not have a significant amount of offensive players uh, to make up for it. Okay. Let, let me ask. I think maybe I jumped the gun. Okay. I said, could they be interesting? So let's let's level set here. What for you, mm -hmm. would be a successful season next year, knowing that they're not going to win. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. So a successful season for me would be uh, we find a center fielder. Uh, we find a replacement for Chris Davis, whether that's Chris Davis or somebody else. Um, we figure out who is going to, in essence, um, be our third baseman would be a good one. But I feel like we need to figure out who are going to be our cornerstones going forward for at least three positional battles. Until we figure that out, it's no man's land. And that has nothing to do with wins and losses for you? No. Okay. I, I just want to, in essence, latch on to a group of players uh, similar to like a Melvin Mora, a Nick Markakis, 
and a Brian Roberts just to say, those are my guys, and I'm going to live and die with them. And at this moment, I feel it may be Trey Mancini, and that's about it. Hmm. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so the answer to my question was no, they don't have the offense. No. Okay, well, you know, uh, Gary Thorne talked about some other things. So, Scotty, do the Orioles have enough starting pitching to no. be interesting in 2020? Absolutely not. And I'm not sure if John Means is going to be a good starting pitcher either. Um, there are folks out there that think he is going to be uh, a top of the line starter. I, I just don't see it. Um, I, you know, I look at his metrics and I look at how he pitches and I'm like, yeah, he might be a back end starter, but I just don't see it. That's the thing though, is that, I mean, again, call me a pessimist, but I think it would be a coup if John means oh, was a number three sure. or four starter. I mean, if I, I, I would probably put him in the number four category, but you're absolutely right for, for the cost that you are paying him um, and for where you got him, it'd be absolutely great. Um, a number four is perfectly fine. And if the Orioles could put out four or five number four starters next year, that would be well above what they put out there this year. Yes, but in the American League East, as we talked about with the Yankees being, you know, hitting bombs left and right, the Red Sox more than likely going to be better you need to have more than a bunch of number fours you're throwing out there. Of course you do. But the experience would be better than what we had this year. It would be like um, having a scab instead of um, a, a, a blistered toe. <laughs> An open gaping wound. Yeah. Okay. All right. So your uh, your answer, Scotty, is that we do not have enough offense, that we do not have enough starting pitching. But I think I've got you here. Okay. Scott, do we have enough relief pitching to be interesting in 2020? What's relief pitching? I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't just, think we saw any of that this year. I've just got the their notes. No, I mean, I'm actually more interested to see what the Orioles do um, with their relief pitchers and how, in essence, they decide to recraft it. They're obviously not going to go out to the free agent market um, like they did during the dark age and said, hey, we're going to flush money down the drain. How would you like some Jamie Walker? Yeah, and just say, hey, we're going to do this. Um it's going to be interesting for them to take a look at their minor league organization and say, we want to start turning these players into minor league pitchers. I think we saw that a little bit with Hunter Harvey. I'll be interested to see who else they're going out to get um, to both get bullpen arms, but also openers uh, to begin the season as well. So I think that's the big question of is who is going to develop into those pitchers that can pitch one or two innings, and uh, throw heat. Easy, Scott. Easy. Cole Sulser of the, uh, of the formerly, of the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, you, our opener. It's a possibility that he could be on there. Again, I think it's just a question of how do each of these pitchers develop uh, with their off-season workouts. Yeah. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. The, uh, the Orioles, it's going to be ugly in 2020. You know, we talked about changing our expectations. We we know that the Orioles weren't. We knew that the Orioles weren't going to win in 2019. We know they're not going to win in 2020. Um, I'll be interested to see. You know how players continue to develop. I want to see more from Austin Hayes. I want him to be healthy. I want him to come in. I want to see him, you know, play and see if he's going to be a solution. I want to see Anthony Santander build on on what was you know an okay year, a pretty good year. Um, but I want him to be more consistent. You know, he, he ended up just under a hundred way to runs created plus for the, for the entire season. You know, I want to see Hanser Alberto. Can he be a useful major league baseball player? Or was it a flash in the pan? I want to see Renato Nunez. He's going to hit a, a lot of home runs, but 
can he play anywhere in the field at any time in any way responsibly? And, you know, can he cut the strikeouts down and can he stop being so so uh, streaky? And as we walk through these names, I mean, we just threw out Trey Mancini. We threw out Austin Hayes. We threw out Renato Nunez. We threw out Hansel Alberto. Again, some of these players are going to have to, in essence, become that foundation piece. I think Trey Mancini has established himself at this point of having three seasons where we actually know exactly what he is going to look like going forward. Hansel Alberto does nothing for me. I think it's a flash in the pan. Renato Nunez again. I'm glad that he hit a bunch of home runs, but everyone hit a bunch of home runs this year, so he does nothing for me. Again, it's the question of who is going to be that consistent you know, two-war player that it, when a superstar comes up, maybe it's Adley Rutschman, maybe it's someone else in the future, um, that the Orioles are going to be able to take advantage of it. I, I totally get that. But I think until the, you know, Mount Castles and the Rutschmans and, and the rest get here. And I don't think Mount Castle is anything to talk about either. So you're not going to get any of that. I, I think what I'm hoping for is that the players that I just mentioned will be part of the next 70 win club okay. for this team. And one thing that we didn't cover that, you know, Gary Thorne was going through is there was no talk of defense. And the defense for the Baltimore Orioles this year was absolutely atrocious. And what I want to see going into next year is, again, um, a more consistent defense where the boneheaded plays, just like how we ended this season, are no longer as evident every single game. I have a solution for this. Okay. Ryan Flaherty. No. Okay. No. All right. Uh, here's a question for you. Yeah. How would you evaluate Brandon Hyde in his first season as a major league manager? Um. So here's how I would evaluate Brandon Hyde. Coming into the season, uh, I had very low expectations for him. At this point, I'd be willing to go get a bumper sticker, like my kid is on the honor roll, um, and I would basically get a bumper sticker that said, Brandon Hyde is my manager, and put that in the back of my car. Um, just as an aspect of like, hey, you're not doing an A-plus job, but you're doing just good enough that I want to let all the other parents know that you're mine. I, I don't even know how to evaluate him. This, this is going to sound dumb, but mm. think about what you need from a manager, right? We didn't see him make a single game decision that mattered. Yeah. And, and the things that he did could possibly have been the right the right call and the right move but the talent on his club was as such that they let him down every time yeah the the situations that he was called in to make a decision was literally in every aspect rearranging the deck chairs on the titanic so i don't know anything about whether or not he's a good manager what i what i do know is that he's done an adequate job of making sure the clubhouse wasn't awful but he also almost got into a fist fight with his highest paid uh paid player in the dugout in front of the cameras so uh, i don't know you, you mentioned earlier in the podcast that that you were really interested in the coaches and the message that's being delivered to the to the major league uh talent quote unquote um i don't know how brian uh, brandon hyde fits into that i'm not saying he's doing a bad job i'm not saying he's a bad guy what i'm saying is that there's no way to evaluate him as a major league manager because he doesn't have a major league team. So you're saying he's a Muppet of a manager still? Yeah. He's a Muppet of a manager. How is it that we got to uh, October before Muppet of a manager came out? 
That seems like an easy one. And either you've been holding out on me or we, we missed the book during a rebuild. You don't drop it all in year one. Okay. <laughs> all right. Is there anything else about this season that we should talk? I mean, the, when I was on my way over here, my wife called and she said, you know, we were talking and she said, how are you going to say for the five millionth time, that this club is terrible. So here's what I will say. Um, I think the summation for 2019 is more so the Orioles are doing all the right things in terms of the peripherals. Um, so we talked about Brandon Hyde um, and you know whether or not he's doing the correct things on the field. And that is difficult to judge. But the things that he is doing well from a peripheral standpoint is saying, this is unacceptable. Um, I'm not going to tolerate this. Um, these are not major league pitchers that are pitching right now. And literally putting it out there and being very candid as opposed to basically fluffing out there and saying, well, they give it their all. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate that kind of aspect. We've seen um, a huge indoctrination in terms of game data, game technology, both in the minors and the majors. Uh, we saw a great draft occur um, by the major league organization. We saw a plethora of activity specifically for international free agent spending, um, again, not high level talent, but most of that high level talent was already, you know, done. Um, you saw a, uh, significant increase in terms of spending, uh, specifically for, um, international form organizations, uh, within the Dominican Republic. So the Orioles did everything that they needed to do, uh, to get up to speed of 2015. And, um, again, they are continuing to go out there and in essence, build up their arsenal of data and individuals that will shift this team, not towards the current dynamics that are successful in baseball, but those going forward. Um, and I think that's the biggest story of 2019 is they did everything right as opposed to doing everything opposite of how it's supposed to be done. And I, I think one interesting theme of all the things that we've talked about, kind of to weave this together, is transparency, right? We talked about, is this more like 1998 or is it more like 2007? Well, I think the difference between now and back then is that, you know, back during the Dark Ages, we had no idea when or if the Orioles were ever going to pull out of it. We had been, you know, sold a false set of uh, bill of goods every year. Um, and, you know, we were just hoping not to, to lose 100 games slash maybe this will be the year. I feel like the, the organizational transparency allows us to take that ride. Like, we know we're not going to win this season, but we're okay with that because of all those things that you just mentioned. Brandon Hyde, the same way, right? Transparency, yeah. That pitch is unacceptable in that situation. These performances from the relievers, unacceptable. Um, you know, even to, to some of the organizational moves that we were talking about earlier with, you know, Greg Bader and, and uh, game day experience, the transparency. Hey, we're here to entertain you. We want to bring you in with kids cheer free, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's easier to get on board with when you're not being lied to and the team's losing. Yeah. I, I think, you know, looking at 2019 and kind of coming back to the points that I was talking about. Um, we can look back at, you know, 2012 through 2018. Um, and there was obviously a lot of good baseball being had, but I also feel like through 2012 and 2018, we saw a lot of instances of hero making and hero making in from the work world is basically going above and beyond to basically, um, become the hero at that time and basically go all in, um, without any regard to, um, how those heroic actions can impact the rest of the organization. And oftentimes when that happens, the person gets 
great, you know, you know, credit and they're just like, hey, we're going to applaud you. And then eventually it comes crashing down on them and everyone has to pick up the pieces. Whereas I feel like in 2019, the Orioles in essence didn't take any credit and they're just saying, we're just going to go to work. We're going to do what's necessary and we're going to get through this. Um, and I think that's a very Baltimore mentality, um, but it's certainly something that, again, it's very difficult to talk about continuity and consistency, and it's not very sexy. All right, that that works. So, you know, uh, off mic before the episode started, we talked about what we we're gonna what we we're gonna do tonight, and you said, uh, "Well, we might not be putting an exclamation point on the season, but we might put an ellipsis yes, on the end." Absolutely. So, you know, dot 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 dot. We'll see what happens. More more to come in 2020. Pro- probably more of the same. Yeah. But uh definitely more. Scotty, how about we uh how about we just take a look back with the long lens, do a little uh season long good, bad, and ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started. And Scott, my good for this season is going to be a little surprising, mostly because this player isn't that good. But without looking, if you had to say who pitched the most innings for the Baltimore Orioles, who would you say it was? Dylan Bundy. Okay. Beyond Dylan Bundy, who would you say pitched the most innings? Hmm. I have no idea. I would say Dylan Bundy. <laughs> Number two was John Means. Okay. Who we've talked about. Number three is my good okay. for this season. Not because this person put in good performances, but rather it was a workmanlike season. In a season where there was no talent in starting pitching. In a season where things were just awful all the time. Gabrielle Inoa pitched 110 innings 110.2 innings in both starting at opening and relief and yeah the peripherals were not great right i'm not saying he was a great pitcher he pitched to a 561 era his uh you know xfip was a 540 it was not a successful season but those innings did spare the orioles a lot of indignity there was a lot that he did for this team uh you know hanging in there in times where frankly he shouldn't have had to bother. So, uh, hey, for sticking through it, for being the third uh, in in uh, innings pitched leader for this team, I'm going to give my good to Gabriel Inoa. Hey, way to not be the absolute worst. Well, there you go. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Jonathan Yar for, of course, my good. Sure, most um, valuable oil. Most valuable oil, in my opinion. Um, 24 home runs, uh, 40 stolen bases, 40. Um, 274 average, 339 on base percentage. Um, just a really good season, 162 games. Um, just a really good season. Again, I think an overlooked season, um, for on a really bad team. I think if someone were to have a four war team, uh, and just kind of just be out there on a decent team, I think Jonathan Fiar would have got a lot more, um, credit out there. But Jonathan Fiar gets my, my, my good for the year. 
Okay. Again, long lens here, looking at the season, looking at what could have been. My bad is going to go in the opposite direction of the Inoa pick. I'm looking at somebody that I think should have been a larger part of this team, but through ineffectiveness simply was not. And for me, that's Jimmy Yacobonis. Jimmy Yacobonis came in with every opportunity to pitch a lot for this club, right? Could have been a starter, could have been a long relief guy. Um, Again, not because he belongs in a major league club, but the Orioles really weren't a major league club, and he couldn't even rise to that level. He pitched 41 innings for your Baltimore Orioles, bounced up and down, and and just couldn't make a terrible team. So, again, I wasn't expecting a a world-beating performance, but Jimmy Yak, he was bad. So my bad um, goes to color commentators on WBL radio. Yes, Kevin Brown was amazing this year, but we had a lot of color commentary specifically on WBL that I thought was, I'm, I keep saying WBL because that's what I'm used to, but it's one of five, seven. Was it fan. John Miller? It, it was John Miller, but um, listen, it's just, it's been really bad radio this year, like really bad radio. You mentioned before, even Brian Roberts and Brian Roberts should be so much better, but again, unless you pair him with the right person, he's going to come off poorly. So um, you know, the radio broadcast needs to get better to engage a new audience. And uh, if they don't do that, then radio's dead is the best way to describe it. So so I, I think that the Orioles were somewhat left in the lurch uh, with Joe Angel retiring, but now they know yes. they've got to do something. Absolutely. And so there's no excuse next season. No, there's not. I mean, Kevin Brown did a great job. Um, I think he did an awesome job from a play-by-play standpoint. Um I think, you know, look, you look at Ben McDonald. I think Ben McDonald does a great job with play-by-play. The Orioles need to go out there and, in essence, figure out who is going to be the next group, who is going to become that next bastion where you can turn in every single night and hear familiar voices and not turn into the game and be like, who is this talking? And I, I don't think it needs to be a legend. Oh, right? I don't, we don't no, need our next Joe Angel, but we need somebody to be serviceable enough to to be a voice that we can trust. Again, it's the... It's not just a voice you can trust. It's filling the amount of time that occurs on a baseball game. You know, it's, you know, when you talk to Angel Manfra, it's the aspect of the bantering and the bickering that is occurring while still telling the story of baseball. Um, and for an individual who listens onto the radio, that's an incredibly important aspect for me to become engaged once again as a fan is to not just focus on the game, but focus on the story and the ambience and the culture um, and the community that is present um, in there. So um, yeah, they've got to do something better for this next year in order to keep me engaged, at least on the radio. Sure. All right, let's go ahead and look at ugly. And again, we've talked expectation in this episode and we talked about it and what did it all mean? I have mentioned it at least twice here for good and bad, the ugly. And so for me, expectation is really what it all comes down to. And for me, it's, who did I expect or hope could have been a major league baseball player and how did that work out? And so for me, one of the greatest disappointments is the guy that I chose is my season end ugly. And it could have gone to a lot of people, right? Uh, stop me if I, if I tread on your ugly here, could have gone to Cedric Mullins, mm-hmm. right? Who flamed out as the, the, the starting gig was given to him, right? It could have gone to somebody like uh, Dwight Smith Jr., mm-hmm. who I, I think disappointed in the role that he was given. Great first beginning of the season, but flamed out really quickly. Absolutely. But my ugly, again, for expectation's sake, is going to go 
to none other than Richie Martin Jr. He did not bang. He did not bang. No, very disappointing. Um, you know, you take a look at not just um, his offensive performance, but even his defensive performance, which was heralded coming into the season, was not there. So Richie Martin um, didn't really give the club any significant value. I did think that he turned it on in September. I, I do think that he was really, really good in September. Okay. I think when you're defensively, that, yeah, I think when you're that bad for the remainder of the season. Um, but you know, we can go just back to Jim Hunter saying, "Well, wow, he's really trying out there." So <laughs> I do not argue the point, but I, I will say that there were there were uh, moments. Look, he had a negative one WAR in yeah. this season, right? Mm-hmm. A, a, you know, he was at a fifty weighted runs created oh, plus JJ Hardy territory. <laughs> Stop! He's not nearly that slow. Um, Richie Martin Jr. You know, was our Rule Five draft pick. He had to be on the club. Uh, he, he cannot be on this team. Oh, no. At, in, he, he's league. in the minors. Yeah. He's in the minors next year. There's no question about it. Um, he, he is my ugly for this season. Again, just didn't do what I had hoped. Yeah. All he, all he had to do was be kind of okay, and he wasn't. He wasn't. All right. So my ugly for the East season is probably someone that you forgot, but is definitely ugly. Uh, my ugly is going to go to Dan Straley. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, who pitched for 47 innings this season, 6.23 Ks per nine, 4.15 walks per nine, um, gave up a 9.82 ERA, 9.34 FIP, 7.14 XFIP, and over those 40 innings, he had a negative 1.1 F4. So again, if we think about this over 160 innings pitch, he would have been good for negative 4.5 F4 um, for a typical starting pitcher. So this was an individual that was brought in to, in essence, shore up the starting pitching. He was supposed to be what Gabriel Anoa basically was. Absolutely. And he came <laughs> nowhere close to that. So, yes, Jake, I do appreciate uh, you bringing up Gabriel Anoa. Um, again, didn't do great um, posting a, a negative 0.5 uh, F4. But when we think in perspective, and Gabriel Anoa, in essence, doubling and almost tripling Dan Straley's output. Um, the season could have been much worse if Dan Straley had to remain on this team. The fact that Dan Straley had to be cut by this team because he wasn't good enough just exemplifies an individual that needs to be giving a thought to what his next career progression is going to be. You know, I, I, I hear this most often with football, but it's like that guy's going to be bagging groceries next week. He might not even be good enough to bag groceries, okay? <laughs> he'd be like, hey, throw the cucumber into the bag. And he'd be like, there it is. And it's like, you just hit the car outside. Like, what happened? I, you know, it is it is interesting to me. You said, oh, you might forget about Dan Straley. And that is not a name you come up with immediately. Uh, do yourself a favor, Birdland. Go to Sporkle, right? Sporkle.com. Uh, find the... Can I do this on a work computer? sure yeah, okay go to the 2019 baltimore orioles uh quiz and see if you can name all i think it's like 58 all 58 orioles who are on this year's club this year and i guarantee you will be embarrassed by how many guys you have completely forgotten existed it is uh it is a good way to spend uh, a few minutes uh yeah it's oof. dan Shirley. Oof. um uh, literally a Brian Mattis. <laughs> Way to go. You're telling me you want to put him in a nice flow and just push? Uh, absolutely. No question about it. Well, hey, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to good, bad, and the ugly, we can just say 2019. 
Pretty ugly. Pretty ugly. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, blow this save and uh, we'll get out of here. Alrighty, this, though delayed by a week or so, is the last regular show of the 2019 season, and we're going to head into what we call off-season mode. All right. Yeah, what does that mean? Well, you know, it means that we'll shoot for, I don't know, let's call it monthly shows. Unless something catches our eye and we decide to fire up the mics. Or nothing happens and we don't. Look, for off-season updates for us, they'll be there, sure. Uh, But... Until about the time the spring training starts, uh, you know, or maybe starts to wind down, you know, we're going to be a little quiet. Oh, Jake, I'm sorry. Um, the uh, the Dan Duquette fax machine just went off in SD Studios. Um, let me go ahead and uh, read this really quickly because uh, it's in dot matrix paper here. Um, one second. Uh, Jake, uh, this is a formal notice from the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, it is indicating that our contract has been terminated. Um, evidently our baseball eyes are no longer needed, uh, for this, uh, for this team. Um, so it appears we may be out of work. Oof. Scotty, we know so little about Orioles baseball, but we don't know anything about anything else. Crap. What else would we podcast about? I don't know. This is going to have to be something that we consider over this long offseason. And, you know, we may have to go to the winter meetings to basically uh, solicit for a job, as it were. So either that or, you know, we'll have to come up with a new theme for the podcast. Yeah. Um, You know, maybe it just behooves us just to start from the beginning and say, you know, as the Rule 5 draft pick in Richie Martin, maybe we just need to go back to the beginning and, and start in the minors. Do we have to? Do we have to? <laughs> so you're telling me, Scott, that we're effectively out of a job. Uh, yeah, MLB has basically come down on Bird's Eye View. Man, I always thought it would be Chad and Jeremy, to be honest with you. Yeah, well. Bummer. I guess they're dead. So, <laughs> And in Britain. <laughs> and that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at Bird's Eye View Baltimore. Com. We may have to change that URL now, too. So Bird's Eye View uh, is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, and many others. Again, kind of pointless since the show is now canceled. Uh, and please remember to rate and review the show. Uh, we appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Putting them into an endless cycle is kind of like the dot, dot, dot aspect. So it's perfectly acceptable. Do you think BJ Serhoff would let us podcast with him oh that's a good idea all right come get social with us you can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com you can find us on social media uh we're on instagram facebook and snapchat but the best way to get a hold of us is on twitter where we tweet at least for the time being at birdseyeviewbal and with that baltimore and beyond i'll bid you all a fond adieu adieu good night baltimore be safe out there and let's go. So, you know, Buck goes to San Diego. Does this need to be a Padres podcast going forward? I don't know. I mean, it's bird's eye view. Maybe we could get into uh, bird watching. Or maybe we could just turn it into nose whistles and just uh, just talk about Buck Showalter's nose whistling in San Diego. He's the most interesting man in baseball. Absolutely. There's been a song about that. <laughs> uh, what, what else would we do? I cannot believe the Dandicat fax machine came up again. I thought it was dead. 
I thought Dan Duquette was dead. Thanks a lot, Baltimoreans. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.